It's a terrific Colorado evening tonight. Thank you all for taking time out of your days to, uh, to join us for the Denverite community event here this evening. My name is Andy Mountain. I've lived in Denver for a little over 20 years now. Uh, I've been asked to help moderate the discussion with the group tonight uh, to kind of channel a lot of the questions that we've been seeing and the, the comments that have begun to come in and those sorts of pieces and set up the evening for you so you've got a chance to dig into these plans and, and learn to understand them a little bit more and provide feedback on them throughout. Um, as you know, this is about five plans under the Denverite label, Comprehensive Plan 2040, Blueprint Denver, Game Plan for a Healthy City, Denver Moves Transit, Denver Moves Pedestrians and Trails. All of these together are going to guide the future of what our neighborhoods look and feel like, what development looks like, what our parks look and feel like, how we get around the city, those sorts of elements, all for the, over the course of the next two decades. So these are important plans that have been uh, a significant work in progress, and we're excited to be able to kind of get, get some more reaction from folks after the two years that we've been working on it. Uh, but what I'd like to do to get things started before we roll into the panel, though, is introduce the man in charge of this great city. Um, between his two terms on council, two terms as mayor, uh, Michael Hancock, as you know, has been uh, committed 15 years of public service to the city and county of Denver. He's helped shape the city we are today and really is leading this effort to shape the city that we're gonna become uh, in the future over these next 20 years. So let me turn it over to Mayor Hancock to, start, to set the table a bit. Thank you. Thank you all, and, and let me thank you for being here tonight. This is an important uh, moment in the life of our city and the future of our city, and so I really wanted to come by and applaud you all for being here, and thank you for uh, taking the time to be to take a look at the plans, to hear some of the thoughts, and to listen to this expert panel. I've just set you guys up. Every question that you will have, they're going to be able to answer. Uh, but let me start by acknowledging the presence of Denver City Councilman Kevin Flynn, who is here. If you would, stand up, Southwest Denver, District 2. And before we get started, I'll just ask all of you to keep our city and our young people in your prayers. Uh, when I, I'm going to leave here and go to Mitchell Middle School and, and to the hospital where, as you may have heard today, we had a shooting at Mitchell Elementary, or outside of Mitchell. I say elementary. It was elementary when I grew up in Denver. It's now middle school, I believe. Um, but we uh, have a young man, a 13-year-old, who's fighting for his life in Denver. So keep him and your, his family in your prayers, if you will. Uh, but I wanted to make sure I stopped by and really share in the excitement that our city should have. After almost two years, 20,000 people leaning in given ideas, thinking about the growth, the future of our city. We have now before us, as Andy pointed out, a plan that is a five-part plan that is, talks about congruence, talks about being an inclusive, being a connected city. This is an opportunity for us as residents to lean in again and to fine-tune what will become really our master plan as a city for the next 20 years. Our city is projected to grow uh, by two, almost 200,000 people by 2040. Which means that in order for us to manage that potentiality well and to be able to accommodate the opportunities and the challenges that are going to come with that growth, we need to have a blueprint plan that help guides how we manage our open space and our parks, how we move people about the city, guiding where we move 
um, the development or at least try to direct the growth of the city so we have a balanced approach. This is about our quality of life for those of us who want to continue to call this city home. And if we're going to be successful in the next, for the next 20 years in doing what Blueprint Denver did for us, we got to make sure that this plan is top notch and that this plan uh, really keeps us healthy, keeps us connected, and keeps us inclusive. And so your presence here is not lost on us. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, we need your input. If you don't get a chance to lean in a little bit today or you want to go home and think about it, find us at denvergov.org forward slash Denver right. But I want to thank you all for being here and standing the gap for all of us uh, as we talk about our future. Enjoy tonight. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you Mayor. Uh, so let me just set up a little bit, and then we'll dive in on kind of how the, how the evening is going to function here. Uh, you know, the mayor set it up. The, these plans are your plans. He talked about uh, 20,000 people engaged so far. Uh, we've already had in three weeks since the plans have gone out. Uh, hundreds of people submitting comments on the plans. 8,000 pieces of feedback have already come in on the five plans that are out there in the three weeks that they've been on the, on the street. So we're, we're, we're in the midst of that kind of input gathering phase, and tonight's a key part of that. What the Denverite plans collectively lay out is really a roadmap for a more inclusive Denver, a more connected Denver, and a healthier Denver. And they're doing that through land use, through transportation, through parks, recreation, you name it. Um, the way we're going to run tonight is really trying to elicit from the group here information that's going to help you dive deeper into these plans. These are long documents. They're deep documents. There's a lot of information in them. We're not going to try and communicate all of that in a large group setting like this, but really use this as a chance to whet your appetite a bit. Uh, give you the tip of the iceberg on what's in these plans, some of the key priorities, so that you can have a sense of what you want to look for, things you want to dig deeper on as you review the plans. In the, the back side of the pavilion, we've got the plan teams themselves where folks can talk with the, get their questions answered, get some input on kind of how to best seek out the information you're looking for in these plans. Um, our goal is that we're helping arm you with enough information that you can give us a wealth of feedback, that those 8,000 points of feedback continue to grow and grow and grow. Um, the way we're, we're really gauging tonight is, is kind of get you the clarification you need so that you can kind of think deeply on these issues and then give us the feedback, as the mayor mentioned, either tonight or through the end of October. So we still have uh, over two more months of the public comment period that's out there. Um, the, the, the key things I would encourage you to be listening for. Um, there's been a lot of collaboration through this process that informed the ideas that came in. One of the things I want to get these guys talking about on stage is some of the, the things they struggled with, some of the things they wrestled with. I mean, these are big, wicked, tough problems or challenges that we're looking at here, and there's not a lot of easy answers. So what we want to be able to hear from you after you've had a chance to, to sink into these plans is where did we get it right? Where did the team get it wrong? Uh, what may be missing from these plans? I, th I think what, what the teams have seen through the collaboration with the community is uh, we, we think we've got a pretty, some pretty good drafts that are out there, but we really need to truth test and kind of stress test some of those ideas that are there. So um, we'll run this with a variety of questions that we'll throw at the panel, and then we'll open it up back with the plan teams in the back of the room. Um, the, the, the other setup, Andrea Burns, you see over here on the left, raise your hand, um, Andrea's got some note cards. I've got a, a variety of questions that are informed by the 8,000 uh, kind of comments that have come in so far. So uh, the things I'm going to be hitting on, equity, inclusivity, density, growth, 
maintenance of our parks, parking, I mean, kind of a variety of those hot topics that we've already begun to see in the comments that are coming in. So those are the, those are the things I'm gonna be pushing. If as the, the dialogue is going along, you've got something you wanna make sure that we do kind of question with the panel, uh, raise your hand and Andrea will get you a, a note card. You can get those in. She'll get through those. We, we probably won't be able to get to every single one of the note cards that comes in, but I do wanna make sure we've got a chance to kind of funnel those into the dialogue that we've got. And again, obviously we'll have through, uh, through, through the evening here tonight to, to get some more information and questions answered. So with that as the setup, let me introduce our panelists that we've got up here. We've got a mixture of uh, kind of your peers, other citizens of Denver who have worked alongside these planners on the task forces that were part of these plans uh, over the last two years, along with the heads of planning from the three departments that came together to put these five plans together. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with our community members because they're more important than the planners. No offense, guys. Um, so Daryl Watson, uh, second in from your right here. Uh, Daryl's lived in Denver for more than 30 years. Uh, he was the co-chair of the Game Plan Task Force. So this was the Parks and Recreation Plan. Uh, lives in Whittier and is hyperactive in the Whittier Neighborhood Association. Uh, has been involved in a number of community organizations, including Northeast Denver Innovation Zone. I uh, was formerly on the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board. He was on the Sharing the Gold Advisory uh, Committee. Uh, and he's also an alum of the Leadership Denver program at the Metro Chamber of Commerce. Best class ever. Best class ever. Best class ever. Um, over from Daryl too is Trini Rodriguez. Uh, Trini is a Denver native, uh, graduate proudly of East High School, blocks away. His daughter's currently going to school there at East. Uh, he's commissioner of the Denver Housing Authority. He served on the Blueprint Denver Task Force, looking at land use and transportation. He's the trustee of the Rose Community Foundation, and he's also the uh, board chair-elect of the Downtown Denver Partnership. Finally on the end is Jessica Skibo. Uh, she's also a Denver native, lives in the Corey Merrill neighborhood. Uh, she was on the Denver Moves Transit Task Force. Uh, she's very active in the community. She's a commissioner on the Denver Women's Commission, also on the Public Affairs Committee of the Colorado Women's Chamber of Commerce, and she serves as the chair of the board of directors of Denver Sister Cities International. So those are the, the kind of just a, a taste of the voice of kind of the community that's been a key part of this process throughout. Um, I did reference the planners that we, we have here. What we wanted to do was pull together the heads of planning from the three departments that pulled those plans together. So I'll, I'll run through these folks pretty quickly here. Uh, Gordon Robertson is director of parks planning within the Parks and Recreation Department. Uh, two over from Gordon is Karen Champine. Karen is the director of planning for the city's community and, uh, planning and development department. And then two over from Karen, you've got Jen Hillhouse who's the director of transportation, transportation and mobility planning. That's within the Department of Public Works. Um, so that's our crew. And, uh, and like I said, again, if you've got questions as we get into the dialogue, Andrea's over here, kind of wave, wave her down. Other members, you'll see the blue t-shirts uh, and they'll be able to get, get those down for you. So um, let me start, just open it up. And, and Karen, maybe I'll start with you. Um, so these plans, as we talked about, they're 20-year vision documents and 20 years is a long ways away. Um, it, can you maybe take a minute and paint a picture? I mean, if you are a librarian in University Hills, if you are a mechanic in North Denver, I mean, take your pick. Give me a sense of how is life different for the real community members 20 years from now if these plans are successful? How can you, can you hear me okay? Okay, um, let us know if we need to speak louder. Um, 
Yeah, thank you. Um, the, the good news with this question, it's so easy because you all helped us paint this picture through the process. We heard from you your values and your vision. Um, and so it's less about what I think it's gonna look like and more about what these plans are, are hoping to convey and, and what we heard from the community. So, you know, I, I, I see examples of, you know, a, a single mother living in, in the Sun Valley neighborhood um, who right now is probably, you know, is. Uh, taking an hour-long commute to get to work um, and to get her day-to-day -day needs um, for her family. Um, with this new vision, by 2040, we would love for that same single mother to be able to stay in, in Sun Valley and be able to just very quickly get to work and quickly get back home for the shorter commute and have easy, quick access to, to her day-to-day -day services. Um, but also for that young couple just moving to this city, um, having the ability to, to find a, an accessory dwelling unit to rent um, so that they can spend their weekends in the Sunnyside neighborhood. And, and, um, I'm going to cut you off. What's yeah. an accessory dwelling unit? Thank you. So accessory dwelling unit um, is, is like a granny flat or a carriage house. They use other terms, but essentially it's just a, a smaller, smaller unit um, on, on a piece of property um, where you can just rent. It could be above a garage. It could be a separate structure, things like Thanks. that. Thank you. Um, and so just everyone can experience the city in a different way. And, and so our focus really, particularly part, is the, part of the comprehensive plan and Blueprint Denver was really to, to think about that experience for the people. Um, and so it, it's about you know, folks having easier access to jobs and services and parks and recreation and things like that. Um, and then the built environment, I'll hit really quickly before handing it off, but really what we want to see is those, those great places that we love, those main streets like Tennyson and South Gaylord and those vibrant corridors like Colfax, um, just really continuing to, to, to grow and flourish and, and, and provide those day-to-day -day needs um, for, for folks um, and just really kind of creating that, that great experience throughout the day. That's a great setup. And, and, and Gordon, I'm, I'm going to come your way. I mean, Karen touched a bit on kind of the transportation and mobility as well as kind of what, what the world looks and feels like. I mean, talk a bit. I mean, we're sitting here in gorgeous city park. I mean, what, what's the open space sort of feel 20 years from now if we're successful? Sure. Good evening, everybody. Um, just take a moment and look either side of this beautiful building, uh, the gardens, the lake. Um, this is what our forefathers gave us. And we get to enjoy it tonight on this beautiful summer evening. So I hope you're appreciating the very moment that we're in. Uh, but we do want to talk about 20 years from now. Well, what are we doing to build our system for the next 20 years? We called our plan the game plan for a healthy city because we believe the department is poised, uh, uniquely poised, to create a healthy city. We want to create a physically healthy city that has trees that clean our air, that has uh, opportunities to create water quality so that our South Platte River, our Cherry Creek are actually clean uh, we can, you know, for fish and for people. Uh, we also want to create... Uh, a, a, a city that is, is making our citizens healthy, a, a city that creates spaces and places that you want to go be in and be active in. Uh, and so we need to think a little bit differently to get you into the parks because we're competing with a lot of things. We're competing with screens and all kinds of things that are taking you out of going to your neighborhood park and doing that walk. So we are really uh, fighting uphill battle, but we know that you guys want this because we did listen, as Karen said, and this is what you told us. So imagine South Federal Boulevard. Imagine that being tree-lined having big, beautiful trees like are on 6th Avenue on South Federal Boulevard. That's the kind of change we want to see. We want a tree canopy that's robust. Imagine catching uh, trout in uh, downtown Denver. 
that weren't just placed there the night before, right? <laughs> you, you can catch a trout, but it's probably because they dumped them in a, a, the day before. So wait, are you going to eat the trout that you catch out of the plot? That's our 20-year vision. Okay. Uh, and then lastly, and, and there's so many I could talk about, but I'll just mention recreation because it's really important. Imagine going to the class that you said you wanted at your local rec center and then we provided, and then we had it outdoors in your local park. Instead of going to the rec center, going inside and doing your Zumba class or whatever it might be, why don't we just do it in the park that's a block away and do it out underneath the beautiful trees and do that class you said you wanted. So we need to rethink how we provide programming. We need to rethink uh, how we provide services equitably throughout the city like trees on South Federal, Federal. And then we need to think about how we can make an environment that's clean and healthy for all of us to uh, recreate and live in. So let me throw it to Trini, Jessica, Daryl. I mean, g give me a sense, the conversations that you all had in your task forces as you worked through these various issues and you're thinking out 20 years from now, what were those big topics that either proved as kind of some of the most challenging discussions that you had or maybe inspiring conversations that you guys had when you think about the future? I'll jump in. Um, our Blueprint Task Force um, really spent a lot of time and, and issues that resonated with me um, being a native of Denver and watching Denver evolve like many of you have. Um, I'd say one of the things that really resonated for me is in 20 years, if this plan is successful, we will have created way more opportunity for um, well-paying jobs that um, allow people to live in Denver and thrive in Denver because they are earning, you know, uh, you know, the type of pay that allows them to, to really enjoy a great city. And, and so there's a huge component of this plan as you uh, read more into uh, the document, um, you know, really focusing on um, creating space for uh, business to establish itself and to thrive, serve communities well, and truly be invested in communities. And I think that is, uh, you know, one of the really exciting things for me as, as we look forward. Denver, I think, uh, not too long ago was considered a pretty affordable place for right. most people to live because there were, you know, enough jobs that paid enough uh, wages to be able to afford Denver. Um, that's, uh, that's, that issue is, is real and present today. And uh, it's not quite, uh, quite what it used to be. Denver isn't quite what it used to be in that regard. And so um, this plan, I think, uh, creates a lot of opportunity for, you know, changing that, uh, changing that path to, to something that we, uh, we remember Denver to be, you know, in the past. Cool. Jessica, Daryl, you want to chime in? And, and I'm, I'm, I've already been instructed. We're going to try and swallow these microphones to make sure that we can get the volume uh, all the way to the back here so folks in the back can hear. Uh, okay. So go, you go with your me? theater voice. All right. Uh, quite, I think quite simply, 20 years from now, transit is something we don't have to think about. It doesn't matter who you are in the city and it doesn't matter where you live. Uh, you can get up in the morning and if you're a single mother if with two children and you have to go to two different locations for those um, kids daycare and schooling, if you're a business person that has to go downtown, if you're a person with disabilities, it doesn't matter what you have to do or who you are or where you are in this city. You can get up, you can go do what you need to do and you don't have to stop and think, well, what do I have to do? So do I have to drive? Do I have to take bicycles? Do I, what's the weather going to do? 
um, the transit just is there and you're able to operate and move throughout the city without that delay in, in con, you know, thought process just in more yourself. naturally ingrained. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Gerald, do you want to add anything in here? And yes, and before I even jump in, I, I wanted to thank Florence Navarro who's in the audience as well. She's my co-chair with the game plan and uh, without her work and her leadership, this plan would not have um, happened and all the other task force members from the game plan are here. Thank you so much. Jessica made a great point. Uh, one of, uh, there's an elder in the, in, the, in, the, in the audience and she is, I call her my second mother. She's one of my mentors, Vanita Vinson, and I, she's one of my touchstones. And as I looked at my work within the, uh, the game plan and what we were focusing on, I reached out and spoke with her quite frequently. And one of the visions that I have and that she has and other elders have uh, for the 20-year look of Denver and our parks and rec centers is that that 10-minute accessibility to parks, to rec centers. Now, whether elders, elders can walk there or not or have close proximity to transit, that it fits their lifestyle to get to a park or get to a rec center for events that are important to them. My highlight was to ensure that our elders and uh, the folks who've led this uh, city and led this community, that their voices were heard and my 20-year vision would be that our parks, rec centers, and mountain parks are accessible to them. That's awesome, great, thanks guys. So 20, I don't know, I, I, I see some folks, we say 20 years and there's a bit of a roll of the eyes of either, I'm not gonna be around 20 years from now or 20 years is way too long to wait for the kind of change that I wanna see. Uh, so there's a lot of bold promises that we've got in, this, in, in these plans. And when Jessica lays out the idea of, you know, just transit that you don't even think about, that you just, you go to where the bus comes and you get on a bus or you go to where the train is and you get on a train, you don't have to think about schedules. Um, what are the baby steps? I guess and what I'm curious, guys, is thinking about the next, call it three to five years, something that we can really wrap our arms around. And obviously these were long range plans, but are there, are there improvements that we'll see soon that, that come out of this that people can get excited about? Maybe, I mean, Jen, I don't know, start with you. Sure. So good, good evening, thanks for having me here. So there are, I think over the next three to five years, you're gonna start to see the city roll out a backbone for our transportation network. So really thinking about all aspects of um, travel choice. And so pedestrians, right, creating sidewalks, we have our PEDS and trail plan. <laughs> and identified a lot of the critical uh, gaps that we have within our city. Um, not only the gaps, but also where there's areas that are just too narrow. It does not feel safe to walk along. So um, our, our geo bond and other capital improvement dollars will go towards um, really improving uh, our, our sidewalks within the city. We also have um, very exciting plans to roll out our bike network. So looking at small area approach of how can we start to get networks in place rather than doing individual um, bike facilities that don't really connect to anything um, and building spines into other parts of the city so that we can all access that network together. Um, we also are looking at some transit, so it's very exciting, right? This is the city's um, and the community, your plan to really take a first step in a transit. And it's very exciting being in the city for almost a decade. Um, it's just great to start to see that we're thinking about a complete network and, and really what it takes. And the all RTD is our great partner, um, working with that in public-private partnerships to start to implement this. But just this week, we issued NTP for Broadway, which is a multimodal um, project that will start 
to create high frequency um, and look at improvements along Broadway, as well as multimodal improvements of pedestrian improvements, bike improvements, um, potentially some green infrastructure. So certainly baby steps, um, but we it, it's, it's important to have an ambitious goal, a bold goal, set the bar very high, and that we know then what we're driving towards. Great. Are there others when you think about from maybe a parks perspective or other land use pieces? Um, yeah, I want to I want to reiterate the 10-minute walk campaign uh, is something that we're committed to. Uh, the development of Denver we've seen over the last five years has really uh, woken us up as the need for our need to be able to acquire land and keep up with growth. Because if we don't acquire it, it's going to get paved over, it's going to get a rooftop on it, and there's nowhere for that water to go. There's nowhere for those people to recreate. So we really need a more robust acquisition program, and you're going to see that in the next few years. Um, also, we want to take better, be better stewards of our creeks and our rivers and our lakes. Uh, we want to create the natural systems that do that water quality filtering for us. You're going to see a bigger emphasis on that. Uh, so that our, our, our South Platte and Cherry Creek are actually uh, much cleaner. And then I w what you told us, if you know what a wordle is, what you told us, we boiled down to what the issue was, and then we put it in the font size that had the most responses, and trees was the biggest word in the wordle. Uh, we heard about trees from, from you all a lot. And with emerald ash borer, it's a real problem. Uh, when, when emerald ash borer comes to our town, our town has 15, almost 18% uh, ash trees in the city and county of Denver. That's 330,000 trees that could very uh, seriously be gone in the next you know, 10 to 20 years. Um, so we need to get serious because our tree canopies are already somewhat low, but our tree canopy does so much for our community, and so you're going to see a big emphasis on trees and our tree canopy. Excellent. Let's, uh, let's dive in maybe a little deeper on each of the various plans. I mean, I'll, I'll start picking on Blueprint Denver maybe as the first piece. So um, how many of you folks have lived in Denver for at least 15 years? Good, old schoolers. Um, so when Blueprint Denver was adopted 16 years ago, there was this concept of areas of change and areas of stability. And the, the basic gist, and if I get it wrong, Karen, correct me, was the idea that you would, you would try and encourage as much of the new development or redevelopment into these areas of change uh, rather than the areas of stability. Not to say that things wouldn't happen in areas of stability. I mean, things are always changing and evolving. And it seemed to work. I think the latest numbers we saw was for every dollar invested in an area designated as stability, you saw $5 invested in an area of change. Um, so I, I guess I'm curious, it, it sounds like the new Blueprint Denver uh, took a slightly different take on how we think about stability, change, evolution, and that sort of piece. And I, I thought maybe it would be helpful if you took a few minutes to talk a bit about that. Sure, will do. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, as part of Blueprint Denver that was adopted in 2002, they created such a strong framework. And honestly, Denver as a city has had some amazing just decades of really strong policy around growth management and, and responsible development. So, uh, you know, our job and our starting point um, was a really solid foundation. Um, and we wanted to take those really important tenants of, of, of directing growth to areas where it can accommodate that type of growth. Um, in a way that is done that, that is, respects the character of the neighborhood and the surrounding area. Um, so that was the starting point to the conversation. And what was great is, is that piece of the discussion was very smooth and very easy. We're not going to flip it on its head and all of a sudden start directing it in the opposite direction. Um, let's keep the momentum of that success. But what, we, what really occurred as part of this process, um, in, in large part by the input from the community and the leadership 
of the task force was, all right, let's, but let's, let's take a deeper dive. Let's really understand what worked and what didn't, and what does change really mean to our community? Um, and we heard loud and clear that every neighborhood has to evolve and has to become a complete neighborhood. And so those policies you'll see in the plan. But ultimately, where we're directing growth is very similar to what you've seen um, for years now. So of course, downtown is an important place to direct growth. Uh, but we also talked a lot about our, our, our major corridors, like our busy roads, like Colfax and Broadway, and, and what, um, what's the vision for, for growth along there. And, and we heard loud and clear that in order to align with our transit obligations, and, or not obligations, but certainly our, our transit goals, um, we wanted to make sure that we were directing growth to, to transit corridors. Um, and then the other neighborhood centers that you also think about, like Cherry Creek or the new transit stations that are slowly emerging with new neighborhoods. So all of those places are, are places we've been talking about for growth um, for a long time now. Um, and so now what we want to do is, number one, make sure that that growth benefits everyone and adding this social equity lens to the growth conversation, which is an important framework for Blueprint Denver in particular, so we encourage you to take a look um, at the details around that. Um, but then we also wanted to make sure that any growth and change that does happen is done in a way that respects the character of the neighborhood and fits in better. Because we did learn throughout time that there were probably some examples where it could have fit in better, it could have transitioned better. So we had a lot of conversation around, it was more about when neighborhoods touched up against the corridors and the centers and the downtowns um, to um, what does that really look like and what's that experience like so that um, it's, it's seamless. Um, and so you'll see a lot in Blueprint Denver around what we're calling place types. Um, and so you can really start to visualize what these places look like um, in the content of the plan um, to really kind of get a better sense, which we didn't quite have that framework with the first blueprint. Right. I, I guess I'm, I'm yeah, or Trini, go ahead. Add, I, I think that's, you know, an, an incredible overview, Karen. And I, you know, the, the simple way I would put it um, for my sort of <laughs> non-expert mind to understand this is, you know, refine is a refinement of the idea of area of change and area of stability rather than, you know, red and yellow, it is now red, yellow, orange, a whole range of different sort of subtle uh, types of colors um, that, um, that you will see in this map. Um, and, and so I think that is, you know, it was a tremendous learning experience, the first blueprint. And, um, you know, I don't think anyone could have imagined in 2002 that we, that Denver would beat the projection of population growth and the amount of development by five or six years, I think it was, and uh, with a recession in the midst of all of that, a major recession in the midst of all of that. And so, um, so it was, it was really, uh, it, was a, it was incredibly important learning to see that the market in some cases, or, you know, uh, development, you know, can occur to the, you know, maximum possible, you know, in a relatively short period of time. And, and I think this refinement really takes into account a lot of that learning and experience that we have gained as a community. Let, let me go, just go a little deeper on, uh, you, you kind of touched on a, a few different pieces of it and, and density kind of sort of wove its way into that, but I want to go a little deeper because I, I think, you, Karen, the way you put it was, uh, you know, that 
change and stability, and it was those points where they kind of met, uh, kind of what, what Trini described as the orange areas, where, where there was some of the blend there. Um, and I think some folks, you'll, you'll hear, I mean, depending on kind of where you sit, density is the solution to the problem, and you hear others saying that density is absolutely the cause of the problem, and it actually exacerbates the issue. So I, I'm curious if that came up within the Blueprint discussions and, and kind of how Blueprint deals with the density issue. Yeah, I, um, it absolutely came up. Um, it came up in so many different ways, and you know we're just seeing it. Our city change before our eyes so quickly, um, and density is you know I think the first thing people you know think of when they see you know rapid uh, building in, in a neighborhood or you know large scale building in a neighborhood. Um, it absolutely came up. I think the task force, our blueprint uh, task force. Really, I think there was a lot of balance about how to resolve the, the issue of density. And it's partly addressed in this sort of more uh, refined way of, of guiding growth and, and, and also imagining places um, a little bit differently. So when you look at these uh, examples and images of neighborhoods, you know, I think that was the level of care and insight that went into starting to think about, you know, what places should look like in, in the future um, as this growth uh, continues to occur. I'd say the, the balance really comes from, um, you know, um, just the reality of this is how many people are going to move to Denver. This is how much available land there is to build. And... It's, it's a stark reality to, to come to grips with, especially if we want to maintain affordability of housing mm -hmm. in our community. Um, you know, as a you know, finance guy, you know, I learned that supply and demand are what set the price. And if you have uh, too little supply, the price goes up. Um, we, know that it's not a, we know that the housing market isn't a perfect, efficient market, but, um, but we do know we have to have places for people to live of a range of different types types of in, incomes to really be able to you know accommodate um, everyone who wants to live in Denver. Yeah, uh, the, the Karen, you touched on social equity as kind of a, a key factor that came in, and I'm kind of curious because I mean, Daryl, you and Jessica both hinted at the idea of the the 10 minute walk that I'm I'm no more than 10 minutes away by foot to get to a a park. And you talked about kind of transit, and, and I think the way the transit plan describes it is this idea of that I, I'm, you know, every, every job or household is within, if I get this wrong, yell at me, a quarter mile of transit that comes every 15 minutes. Fair enough? So let, let's run that one through again. So every home, every business is within a quarter mile of a bus or train that comes every 15 minutes. That, to me, when you talk about kind of almost thoughtless transit. I mean, the idea of I can just walk out and hop on it, that's what that's describing. I'm curious kind of within the task force discussions that you all had, how important was that sort of the equity piece, that there are fewer, I mean, the, the, the gap between winners and losers is not so grand that we're able to close that. Uh, th that was center to almost every task force meeting uh, that we had. And, it, you know, equity uh, and equality for everybody. It's it, the community ta representation in that task force 
was very, very purposeful. Uh, and I think it was hats off to the people who put that together, the particular program manager. They, it was thoughtful and representative of the commissions um, within the city structure, the nonprofit organizations, the business partners, um, and RTD, DPS, um, trying to think, the different foundations, and all with the purpose of representing um, the community that they advocate or um, lobby or just speak on behalf of. And, um, you know, there was a reason that all those people do that for a living. There's a reason that I uh, volunteer time to be on the Women's Commission because I believe in promoting equality and change for Denver's women and girls. And so I approached that through a transit lens with a lot of passion, as did everybody else. And so when we thought about equality, it was equality for the people we were representing, but also for each other and, and truly for for all the people um, that ride transit today. So, you know, you spoke about how do we make this change now? Because those people in the room and the people that we were there representing, they can't wait 20 years. Right. They either have no other choice, so they have to have transit options and they have to have reasonably priced and reasonably um, accessible transportation. And they need more than just one option. And it can't, that one option can't, can't uh, limit somebody else's access to that. So that's does important. that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's great. And, and Jessica, I would say the same for uh, the game plan. Uh, the stakeholders um, uh, that were participated, it wasn't just simply about diversity, it was true inclusion. The process of, of receiving feedback from folks from uh, many different communities, many communities that may not have sat at the same table before around parks, recreation centers, and mountain parks were present in um, all of these meetings. I would say the, the important part about equity as far as our dialogue, I think from our first meeting and throughout our last task force uh, discussion, uh, equity was at the forefront. So in the beginning when I spoke about uh, Ms. Vanita and we talk about one of the principles for uh, the game plan is every person and how every person matters within our planning as far as we look at our rec centers and accessibility and costs, our parks as far as whether folks have the 10 minute walk to that, and our mountain parks, are we sustaining the history that we have, um, that we have right now? We also looked at every drop, and so equity also played a part in that. Are we um, building and looking at our parks in a sustainable way? Um, as Denver grows to about 900,000 people, if I may be wrong, I think that's kind of the quote for near future. Um, how do we sustain the water that we have in a, a city that, is, um, uh, that has drought? It's dealing with water issues. Equity also was a part of that. That process of how do we have the right type of plants, the right type of natural areas within parks instead of just grass that are meadows that are, aren't um, indigenous to Colorado, how do we look at the ways that we sustain um, the building types or the building forms? How do we sustain the historic structures that we have? How do we sustain natural areas where people can just come and chill and not have to play or do anything else? So equity had many different facets as we look at the people who use the parks, who utilize our rec centers, and people who utilize our mountain parks. And also we looked at the mobility plans to see what are, were they talking about as far as how do we transport individuals to and through our systems in an equitable um, uh, manner. 
Go ahead. If I could yep, add just one it. thing uh, to, to further answer your question as it relates to um, how do we make sure that we had equity. It wasn't, while the, com while the task force was uh, very thoughtfully put together, the task force is there also to educate the Denver Wright um, group that was helping lead and facilitate this entire effort to produce these plans. So the amount of time that was spent out in the community and where they went and who they talked to and what communities they made a very purposeful outreach to was driven in part by um, our recommendations on not how to go talk to people who ride transit. They were important, but more, almost more importantly, how to go talk to those people who can't ride transit and, and how do we get them to ride transit. So um, we helped educate and create that community input through that, through it, most importantly an equitable lens, and diverse great. lens. Yeah. So let, let's continue down the, the mobility path. Um, I, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. Scooters already came up as the very first question. So I'm, co I'm coming at you, Jen. Um, before we dive into scooters though, um, let uh, give me a, a sense. So we. The, the transit plan and, and Blueprint Denver talk about prioritizing certain roadways for transit, roads like Colorado, Federal, that sort of thing. Um, the pedestrian and trails plan talks about kind of highlighting certain areas for sidewalk improvements, pedestrian crossings, those sorts of things, schools, grocery stores, hospitals, places where people need to go. Um, there are some who may feel that we're doing this uh, perhaps at the expense of those that may need to drive or may want to drive. And so I'm, I'm curious, kind of your take, Jen, on the direction the plans are going. Are we actually making it more difficult for someone who may, may be dependent on a vehicle or may be dependent on that sort of, uh, the ability to kind of get in their own car and drive? Yeah, sure. I think it's a great question and one that we wrestle with all the time. I mean, Let me get know... you to pull that closer. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So we, um, we understand, right, the, the way that we'll combat and... Um, think through to manage and mitigate congestion is just what these plans are doing, right? By offering more travel options, um, getting more people out of their vehicles will allow our roads to not be so congested. And so if we offer um, transit, if people can walk safely on our streets, if they can bike, and, and to Jessica's point that it, it's not, it's more thoughtless, like you can just walk out of your home or your job and hop onto these um, transportation options, um, the better. And we know that people are gonna continue to drive. We know that there's deliveries made and FedEx and UPS are gonna to continue to serve our businesses and so we have to think through that and and how we manage the curbside um, and where people park uh, but we have to get creative with the, with the streets that we have we have we know more people are coming right and a significant amount of growth in Denver and we have to think about how we utilize our streets in a different way um, but that's not to say that we we won't con continue to consider um, how vehicles move safely and efficiently within our city let me, let me dive into the, I'm, I'm gonna go scooters, and I, I wanna make sure we address scooters, but I also wanna broaden it out as well to make sure we cover both sides of this. So the, I think there's a perception among, uh, I mean, we, we've seen it in the media, we've seen it in the comments coming in, that the, the city was caught by surprise with the influx of scooters, the electric bikes, and kind of the dockless uh, bikes and scooters that are running around the city right now. And, um, and the question that, that came in is how does this plan, when you think about 20 years out, what is that doing to address, let's start with scooters, 
e-bikes, dockless, and, and even B-cycle and that sort of thing. But I think the other thing that I, I would add on to whomever's question that was is what about the technologies we've not even thought about yet? And how are these plans uh, kind of projecting forward to those new innovations or, or disruptions that may be coming? Yeah, sure. So we, we have a, a great future in front of us, lots of technology and how that connects back into transportation. Um, there's things that we can't even imagine, right? And so it's hard to plan for. But what these plans do is they offer um, a way to start a framework to be able to prioritize and think through those corridors that are important. So the scooters, for instance, right? They were dropped in the city and, and we're gonna have more technology um, where this happens. But we we thought through hard, we, we tried to identify, again, using these plans, where would it make sense to start to place these? And it was next to transit. Um, so how do we start to connect our fabric, our transportation fabric together? And it's working pretty well. I don't know how you all feel, um, but you can see they're lined up in the mornings next to the bus stops. Um, they uh, retrieve them, recharge them, and, and they're back um, at those transit stops and state and bus stops in, in the morning. So really looking at the framework of how do we align all of our travel options that they work together as a network and not try to think things in silos. We have to bring everything together to be successful and that includes cars and bikes and bike share and the technology that we haven't considered yet. Well, the one thing I would add to that is that um, with many of the different transit studies that have been done, the biggest inhibitor to using transit and that first and last mile. So yes, it would be great if we could all walk out of our door and within less than a 10 minute walk have that access. But this is just not realistic in a city that's already as built out as it is. And the way that you get past that and get to that transit mode that does meet your needs is through all these other alternatives that is easy and accessible to most. And, and I mean, I, I guess I would add one of the other pieces is, is I think, there, I mean, you, you, you see the photographs and you see the videos at times of whatever it, it, device it may be and blocking a sidewalk and that sort of thing. And, and that, I mean, are, are the plans looking at policies that may help direct and kind of control and regulate some of that so that if, I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm in a wheelchair going down a sidewalk and someone left their scooter hanging one foot out into the sidewalk and I'm kind of stuck, um, how, do, do the plans get into that, or, or is that kind of separate from this effort? Yeah, I think the plans do, especially when we think about the curbside, maybe more than yeah. the sidewalk. So what are those tools, uh, management tools that we have to think about how there's a lot, you know, a, a bike lane is adjacent to um, the curb, and it's blocked all the time. I think there's an app out there that you can identify, you know, the bikes blocking, what's, bike, what's blocking the bike lane. Um, so that is a, a real issue, and so the plans identify a toolbox for what we can start in a lot within blueprint too on how do we start to think about our curbside it's a huge asset for the city um, you know when we think about all that the city has and controls this is a big one right we have people that are parking deliveries that are made Ubers and Lyfts and everybody wants to utilize the curbside. And so the plans, I think, identify some good tools and um, policy recommendations that allow us to, to get to a better place of how, how can we think about um, allowing for a lot to happen along the curb, but that serves many needs. Great. So let me, let me move to parks and dive into the, the game plan uh, a little bit more here. So we, I mean, you guys have laid out a grand vision. I mean, I, I'm, I, am, I am buying what you're selling. Um, and I mean, really, I mean, the, the concept of sort of 
parks and recreation facilities as a basic right. That, I mean, bringing the programming to the people rather than waiting for the people to come to the rec centers, all those sorts of pieces. Um, I, I guess what I'm curious about is from a prioritization perspective, where, I mean, where you've got communities that don't currently have easy access to facilities uh, or easy access to high quality facilities. You may have communities that have a rec center down the road that is a 50 year old rec center that has not seen investment uh, like we've got at Carla Madison and some of these great new facilities. So how do, how do we address some of those communities that may not show up as lacking access, but what they're lacking is quality? Well, you just rolled about three major issues into, into one question. <laughs> I don't know which part to address first. Uh, equity is, is certainly an issue, and we are focused on it. We are doing equity mapping uh, like we've never done before. We are strategically uh, providing the resources that we have uh, to make sure that we're addressing those equity areas that aren't, don't have the amenities other places have. We just opened up a brand new Westwood neighborhood park, one of the best grand openings I've ever attended in my life. Um, and it was, it's a fantastic new park, but they shouldn't have had to wait 30, 35 years to get a refresher on that park. Right. Um, so it is, it's also diversified funding. Uh, we need to look at diversified. I know we're going to talk about funding at some point, but you know that is a driver of how much we can maintain and how much we can keep up our, our facilities. And so uh, we need to look at diversified funding sources that create opportunities for people to invest in our parks, uh, philanthropic, volunteerism, other uh, sources, new development can help uh, fund some of the uh, new needs created by the new development. So we're looking at a number of sources to uh, create the revenue that we can go out and then refresh our parks, create the new rec centers where they're needed, and refresh our existing rec centers. So if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, part of this, I mean, Karen talked a bit about social equity and kind of how we begin to prioritize. And one of the questions that's coming in is, is how do you begin to prioritize projects? You, you guys have kind of mapped out those areas of greatest need, and that becomes a key driver when we begin to think about three to five years, five to 10 years on what you prioritize first. Yeah. Is that fair? Um, one of the other ones I want to dig into, I was, I was watching the geese, I've got the view of the geese out here, um, is some of the other comments that we've begun to see coming in is, you know, people love our parks, um, but there are elements of them geese being one, dogs or perhaps what the dogs leave behind being another. Um, folks have brought up kind of issues of kind of when you're trying to balance uses within the park, whether that be, um, you know, volleyball nets taken over Wash Park on an entire Saturday, uh, or whether that be homeless encampments that, uh, where you've got folks looking to find a place to rest. And, and so I'm, I'm curious, how did Game Plan look at and address those, those issues of, of kind of maintenance and uh, kind of equality in use and, and balancing that. Um, yeah, geese, well, um, let's talk about maybe um, a homeless issue. I know that's a big one first, um, because we want our parks to be welcoming to everybody. And we mean everybody. Uh, if you are there and you are you know, keeping yourself and your belongings clean in a way that is respectful of the space, then you are welcome in our parks, and that's a good thing. Uh, the, the issue is we need more people in our parks, so we need more amenities, more programming, so that you don't feel like you're one person and there's 15 folks that maybe that, that you're not comfortable with. When there's 100 people in the park, you don't notice the 15 people that are there enjoying their day, uh, and, and they're, not, they're not disrespecting anything. So that's an issue that we're grappling with in our ranger program, which is not a, a police force, it's really just a, a welcoming force that can, uh, you know, that can ask people to clean up their belongings or to move along. Uh, they have been fantastic in helping us make headway. Uh, so that's, that's an issue that we are continuing to work on. I will say with the geese issue, I sympathize with everyone who 
who despises their droppings because I am I'm number one uh, hater of those. Um, it is an issue that we are trying to deal with by creating more natural environments around our waterways because they don't they, they want to be where they can see everything around them 360 degrees. Mm -hmm. um, and so that helps, but it doesn't solve the problem. I'll be quite honest with you. Uh, it will not solve the problem. It is, a, it is an intractable issue that we are working on. But there are new technologies that do uh, bother them so they move along uh, that are easy to deploy that we're looking into. And it's going to be an issue of technology and also just additional volunteer work. Uh, we, we want the geese in our parks. The problem is there's, there's too many and they're here year round. Uh, and they didn't used to be. It, it, it's a climate change issue that I won't get into the details, uh, but it is, it is really degrading our park system for how we want to use it, and it's something that we're working on. Great. Daryl, do you want to add? And Gordon, I'll jump to the maintenance piece and then maybe a, a little bit on some of the other parts. I think one thing that's important, actually first let me start by saying, I think the really great thing I think about the game plan was that there are some prescribed um, solutions within the game plan some ideas on prioritization as to what we should be doing when it comes to our parks, our mountain parks, and our rec centers. But also the game plan has flexibility in it as far as continual community input and feedback for the process. So it's not a one and done. The plan is um, delivered to city council, it passes it, and then for the next 15 years, whatever happens in technology, um, in heat indexes or whatever, you're stuck with what the game plan says. So I at least wanted to sit out front, there is a flexibility within the plan and a request and, uh, 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 for continued feedback and input from community members. Down to uh, deferred maintenance, uh, this was something that we discussed quite a bit. There's a lot that we would like to see how our parks, mountain parks, and rec centers look like and how they're maintained, but without the funding for that, these things will not exist. The rec centers and the prioritization for parts of Denver that do not have updated rec centers are for communities whose parks are, are not suitable for kids to, to play in, playgrounds that are deteriorating. Those things cannot occur without funding. And there are a lot of community um, discussions and from the folks who came to the meetings and a task force as to how do we get to kind of a dedicated source. Um, there are plenty of opportunities out there. I think some of you have heard of things that are possibly going to be on a November ballot. That's not part of the game plan, but it's something that may be out there as far as identifying funding for parks. Um, that's essential, identifying partnerships with parks so that we can actually maintain beyond what the city's general budget can, can afford uh, for parks to have. And also, once we do that, 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 those funds go directly to the areas of the city that really have the greatest needs. I think within the game plan, we've created a structure, and architecture around that. But the bottom line is um, there's going to need to be a funding source to ensure that the things that we have in the game plan actually do occur. So let me, let me take one more stab at kind of the balancing uses piece, kind of a different angle that, that came from the crew here. And then I want to get back into the money thing from kind of a, a bigger picture perspective. So um, I'm not fact-checking the stats, but I'll use the stats that I'm, I am given. Um, uh, that four years ago, 320 events in our parks, now over 600 events in our parks, kind of outside events, private events, those sorts of pieces. And when you look at things like the music festival in Overland Park, some of those other sorts of private events that uh, perhaps preclude the public use of that facility for the duration of time of that event. So the, the question really is what, what's being done within the game plan that kind of helps 
channel where and how the public can get access and, and really engage in our parks when those outside events are coming in. And, and I guess the other thing I would add to it is, is, is that trend going to continue? As we continue to invest in parks, is the continued increase of outside events going to come in? Well, another tough one. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yes, our city's growing, and there are more people who want to do more things in our parks. Um, that's, that's natural. Uh, actually, parks that are well used um, are, are, are parks that are safer. Um, so events in the parks are not a bad thing in and of themselves. And I think we have a policy in place that tries to manage that. But I think the idea that we would be able to acquire more land as the city continues to develop and spread those uses out amongst a larger park system so that they're not all coming to the handful of parks that are large enough to handle large events because we only have a handful of parks that are really large enough for large events. So to the extent that we're, in, we're, we're at the table when land is, is available and we have the resources to be able to acquire that land and distribute it throughout the city and then move uh, events to those places so that they're not continuing wanting to come to the same park every time, I think that you know, that's part of the solution. And Pretty much that was part of what I was going to say. I think the situation that we're faced with when, when we looked at game plan and we looked at uh, usage is the number of parks that actually are being used for a larger events. Um, without the ability to actually develop specific parks for, for um, that type of event, um, these parks are going to continue within the current um, Denver Parks process, continue to be used for um, um, uh, concerts, et cetera. But we do see within the game plan a prioritization for um, looking at additional parks and within those parks spreading out those uses so that Wash Park or City Park or some of the ones that are being, um, that people feel are being overused, that we can spread that usage out uh, to other communities. And, and one additional comment, I, I have to mention Grand Doozy, buy your tickets. Uh, we, we have a music festival, uh, a three-day music festival. That's something that this city hasn't had, a uh, big outdoor music festival. We're, we're trying creative things. We don't know if it'll work, but at Overland Golf Course, we're going to have a three-day music festival, top uh, musicians from around the country, and we're going to open the golf course to the public for three days. And the golf course will benefit from, actually, and, and we'll see, but from, from, the, from the infusion of revenue that can actually make the golf course better and, and, and uh, improve some things that need fixing. Uh, so that revenue can help the golf course become better. Uh, the, the citizens can enjoy a three-day music festival that they didn't want in City Park, understandably. Um, so we're trying something, and if it doesn't work, we won't do it again. But uh, that's the kind of creative thing we're going to look at to do it, to try to solve this kind of issue. So let's, let's dive into to some of the money stuff, and then we'll kind of lightning round the last few uh, uh, questions that we're seeing coming in. Um, so the, the I mean, big, bold vision, lots of big ideas, uh, sounds really expensive. Um, the bond initiative that was overwhelmingly passed last year puts $937 million in. So I, I guess really it's a two-part question. Um, one is how much of what's in these 20-year plans does that bond initiative cover? I mean, does that, have we prepaid for much of this or is this all new on top of that? And then uh, that's kind of a loaded question because I, I presume the answer is that's not paying for everything. Um, so then the second question really is what are we going to do to find the money? How, do we, how are we going to pay to make sure that we can actually deliver on the vision that we don't just come up with a lot of grand ideas that we can't follow through on? 
If I could start with a little bit of just the higher level framework and then have um, Parks and uh, Public Works talk a little bit more specifically. But what was really important as part of this process and we heard from the community was how, how do we know that the city is investing in the right things? And what does the right things mean? And ultimately what we heard from the community is that we wanna make sure that as the city is investing back into our community, we wanna know that those decisions are, are being made through the lens of our vision Vision. And so at the beginning of this process, two years ago, we had such great discussion with the community around our values and our vision. Um, and you'll see those vision elements in, in all of the plans captured. And ultimately the goal was let's make sure that as we're making these funding decisions or investment decisions, and that could be f down to the to little staffing resource decisions all the way up to you know, $900 million of, of bond funding. Um, how are we making sure that those decisions are advancing our vision? Um, and, and are they? And it became, it actually became part of the criteria for conversation and it's going to continue forward. And you'll see that language in, in comp plan in particular and probably in, in the other plans as well. But just as we're making these decisions, we want our vision of an inclusive, connected, healthy, all of the other um, important values, strong neighborhoods. Those are all things that set our framework moving forward. Um, and, this, I, and the reason I want to highlight this is because this is such an important new phase in our city. Um, not to say that decisions before weren't based on policy, but it was just sort of this collective conversation between all the different departments uh, and, and a commitment to say, yes, that's what we want to be doing um, as, as we're moving forward as a city. And, and one other piece I want to add, because there's been some great conversation around the capital improvements, is that we're, we're also invested in shared outcomes across the different departments. And so let's, let's do as much as possible with the resources we have. That was a really important principle that came out of this process. Let's not direct that money if it's only solving for one thing. Let's direct money to solutions and investments that solve for five different things. So as you see these projects moving forward that Jen and, and Gordon talked about, you're gonna start to see that, oh, that project is doing like five different things. That that Colfax BRT isn't just getting moving people up and down Colfax. There's, there's great stormwater solutions in there and there's better pedestrian improvements and and there's just a better built environment for the neighborhood so that was a really common conversation that we had um, that came out of this process and so really we want to you know acknowledge that um, and hopefully we got it right in the plans so be sure to take a look and make sure we did get that right and I'll hand it over to Gordon and Jen. Okay. I think one thing that's clear is we can't do it on our own, right? I, there's got to be a lot of partnerships and creative thinking around funding. Um, you know, how can we leverage public-private partnerships? How can we work with adjacent development? Um, and how do we work with our regional and local partners, nonprofits? So the list goes on and on. Um, and so we're really active in, in thinking through those partnerships. But there are things um, that the city can do and that we, we are moving forward um, with thinking through now that we have this great framework that really looks at connecting all 
of the really important aspects and components of what makes a great city. Um, but there are things that we don't need money for to implement the plan that will start to move the needle. And so these are things like working with RTD closer on service routes and frequency and um, you know building our sidewalks um, through policy, um, right? We have a repair, sidewalk repair um, program that's going on. So how do we start to think through these other coordination and collaboration pieces um, that will help us achieve our overall goals. Um, but we know we can't do it on our own and, and we'll lean and leverage as much as we can. That becomes important, yeah. Um, all right, we've got about five minutes left and in that time, according to my note cards, we're gonna solve homelessness, housing affordability. Uh, no, so we, we, I wanna at least touch on these. These are big, serious issues. So obviously there's not an answer to these. Um, that is 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 uh, just a silver bullet solution, but um, and I, I want to hone in on the idea of concrete measures because that uh, whoever wrote this question I applaud you um, that plans can often have a lot of lofty language um, and the the question is is two parts the first one is what are the concrete measures and I presume it would be in Blueprint Denver uh, predominantly um, so what concrete measures are in there to help improve housing affordability. We have a lot of great ideas um, to share with you in those documents to, to tackle affordability. And, and um, what, what we wanted to make sure we were doing was, number one, we wanted to make sure we were bringing out um, the strategies that were already captured in um, our Office of Economic Development's housing plan, um, and then really elevate those ideas and integrate them with all of the other uh, topics. But you know, ultimately, affordable housing, we have uh, several sections on this in the plan, is really just, it's, it's about offering diverse choices um, and, and offering them throughout the community. Um, and so we wanna find discrete ways to integrate new housing choices um, and then and then different higher density choices. So um, in, in areas that are more established neighborhoods, we've had community, we've had conversations with residents about, um, I mentioned accessory dwelling units earlier, um, and other infusions of just additional units um, in a way that's contextual and appropriate for that particular neighborhood. Um, to just find discrete and contextual ways uh, to, to add housing choices. Um, but we also talked a lot about those areas of growth um, and the significant opportunity that we have in those areas of growth to provide and get more commitments for affordable housing. So right now we have, um, we have requirements in place, but we know we can do more and do better. Um, and so we wanna continue, what we heard loud and clear was to keep raising that bar um, so that we can offer more housing choices for our residents, um, which goes back to that vision we were all describing at the beginning. I mean, it's, Denver needs to be a place for everyone. And that was a really important value for us to, to make sure. And we wanted to be very serious about that. So we've got a lot of great strategies in the plans to help deliver that. Um, I mentioned a few examples, but there's lots of great stuff yeah. in there for you to take a look at. Trini, let me get you in, and then I want to yeah. come back on the ADUs for a minute. Absolutely, too. and I think part of the, um, you know, part of the thrust that uh, we had to, to address housing affordability in Denver in concrete ways really came from the fact that um, our city and some of us who were on the Blueprint Task Force also served um, self-included on the city's housing advisory committee, which is responsible for developing 
Denver's long-range plan for how to produce um, more affordable and diverse housing options for um, you know residents of of all walks of life and um, and so we actually had the great by way of timing and and the intense concern that Denverites have about um, affordability of housing in Denver to to really work together between these really two important bodies to um, you know come up with some really concrete. Uh, recommendations, um, which uh, Karen talked about, um, but also uh, uh, strategies that um, many of which focus on areas that are vulnerable to displacement. Um, so really looking at the parts of Denver that, you know, are seeing the um, the most likelihood that, you know, families who, who um, whose wages are not growing very fast, you know, um, are being affected by you know, um, a lot of people moving into the neighborhood, converting houses, et cetera. And so with all that sort of real-time data and this real energy from, from the people of Denver, I think you can see the fruits of that in part in the city council just yesterday uh, adopted a $15 million um, expansion of Denver's doubling of Denver's commitment to affordable housing. Um, every year, so that was a great, you know, certainly a great outcome. It's not necessarily 100% attributable to this, but it is um, that those funds will be guided in the plan into the neighborhoods that are most heavily impacted and in, uh, to create housing options in, in the um, places where really they, they are long overdue. So let me, uh, I'm going to close with kind of the, this question on the accessory dwelling units. It gets, gets a little down in the weeds, but I think it kind of makes it real for a lot of folks. And, and again, we talked about these as, you know, building an apartment above a garage or a carriage house in the backyard, those sorts of things, right? So um, if, if I am, well, we have, we have someone. Uh, if I'm a homeowner in Sunnyside, um, my lot is big enough to support putting in an accessory dwelling unit the zoning surrounding me on three blocks and the zoning there does not allow me currently to put that accessory dwelling unit in. How does this plan and kind of when will this plan kind of kick in in a way that would help transition that over to make that a possibility when you've got someone ready, willing, and interested in doing that? Well, the, what we have right now in place, we do have tools available now um, to bring that concept forward and talk to our staff about whether that is. And you know, we, right now we want to talk about that at a more case-by-case -case basis. Depends on the neighborhood, depends on the lots. Um, but we have the ability now with our regulations to enable that if we have you know folks coming forward to ask for that in their neighborhood. Um, and especially in those discrete, more case-by-case -case conversations. What we do hope to see coming out of Blueprint, if there's continuous support for accessory dwelling units, um, is then to have more holistic conversations that are more neighborhood-wide. Um, and we want to hear from those individual neighborhoods. If that's part of your vision, um, which, which is an important value we want to talk to you about, then, then let's do that and then maybe we can tackle that more holistically um, and, and get 
regulations in place that allow that, you know, within circumstances that again are done in a way that 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 uh, is consistent with the character of the neighborhood. Um, but we want to have that conversation and, and and make that process as easy as possible for you because right now it's a lot of individual um, owners coming forward. Um, we'd love to be more proactive as a city and, and help you um, help you make that happen if that's a goal for your neighborhood. Great. So let me wrap up with kind of maybe a pull it back up kind of big picture question and, and Karen, I'm going to make you keep talking. So grab a drink. Um, I, I, I guess for the, the folks in the, in the audience tonight, I mean, we give, if you can give them maybe a sense of the, the remainder of this evening, but then also bigger picture, uh, because we talked about the three month comment period through the end of October. Uh, but what happens then? Um, I mean, we've got the 8,000 pieces of feedback that have already come in. I mean, what, what happens with all that feedback? What happens with these plans? And what does the process look like moving forward? Great. Okay, I'll try to cover everything. Um, but if anybody, uh, feel free to shout out if anything I missed. So in terms of moving forward for, for the three-month review process, or even just starting for tonight, what can you do? Um, we have available um, online different, um, uh, uh, different uh, I'll call it different sizes of the plan. So you can, if you really want to read the full plans, those are on our website, denvergov.org slash denverwrite. Um, every copy or, or every one of the five plans are in full, um, there's a full PDF online for you to review. With each of those plans, there is also a great more in-depth survey that you can take so that each of the plans um, plan teams can get specific feedback on those plans. So if you're if you're that type of user and you're that engaged, um, go to the website, review all you know, review all the plans or the one that's most interesting to you. Complete the survey, get your comments in um, so that we can get your feedback. Um, if you want to stay a little higher level, we also have that for you. So there are executive summaries of all the plans available online for you to review and a shorter survey just to capture the bigger picture questions. We want to get a sense, even if you're not more of that user that's going to review the whole plan, we want a little bit of that gut check with the community of, are these big ideas capturing what we've heard, and are these the right priorities for us as a city? So you kind of have two ways to engage depending on your level of interest. Um, we, so for tonight, we have staff available um, back on the other wing, um, and most of the plan teams are all along um, your left side, my right side of, of the pavilion. Um, if you've got questions, um, maybe you've started to dive in or had some specific issues about it, staff is here to take questions and, and kind of help get you a little bit more oriented. Um, and then on this side, which is your right, my left, we have a survey station. So if you're ready to take your survey tonight, um, that's available in hard copy and we have iPads available for you too. So there's a great opportunity to stick around and, and engage with staff and, and start to get your comments heard. Um, if you just want to sort of take a little bit more time and review the plans, we are also hosting office hours throughout the city where you can come and meet with staff. Um, and again, kind of get more questions answered, uh, provide your input, um, provide your comments, um, and we have um, a, a postcard at, at all of the stations that give the date, uh, time, and location for those office hours. Okay. So I think that covers all of the engagement opportunities for you, so we hope that that is sufficient for you. Um, 
Then what we'll do at, after October 31st is we'll take in all those comments and really start to evaluate the feedback and see what we got right, see what we got wrong. But we're always going to evaluate the feedback against the the community values and vision uh, element. So if we get new ideas um, thrown at us from the community, we'll take those in and, and it's not too late to get those new ideas integrated. But our responsibility to the community and the task forces is to just evaluate those requests based on the vision. If, our, if those ideas that come in help us advance that vision, we're gonna find a way to make that work within the plan or refine what we have if it doesn't quite get us to where we want to go. That's really the lens we're going to be using as we evaluate comments moving forward. Should I get into approval and adoption? Go for it. That's okay, where I was going to push let's it. Let's do it. Okay, great. All right. So the last phase. So uh, after we have all the comments uh, received and digested and edited, um, we've of the five plans, three of the plans will go to City Council for adoption. So the Comprehensive Plan 2040, Blueprint Denver, and the Parks and Recreation Game Plan will go through an official adoption process that goes to City Council. There'll be There'll be uh, public hearings. Um, there'll be notification of those hearings. There'll be opportunity for public testimony. Um, and we'll have, even, even before we advance that process, um, we'll have another way for folks to look at the latest and greatest drafts of those plans as well. Um, the Denver Moves plans um, will be ready for implementation as soon as we get the feedback and finalize those documents. Um, they're ready to, they're already are implementing. Um, and so those plans will just be ready to go and we can start using those in our day-to-day -day lives uh, to make decisions. Great. And just timeline on that, uh, I mean, we're talking springish when that sort of adoption process uh, through council likely occurs? Yes, spring 2019 would be the, the adoption. Awesome. Um, well, here, let me uh, first, on behalf of these guys, let me just thank you all for the hour tonight, but also for the two years of work, particularly the community members that volunteered all that time. So thank you guys. So again, as Karen mentioned, we've got all of the plan teams who worked on putting together the draft documents uh, there to help you figure out where to find what you're looking for uh, back in the back room there along with the surveys. So thank you guys again for coming out tonight.